took us a long journey to get to this place, but we're, we're so honored, we're so excited to be able to have you come and be a part of something that God is doing, not just in us or through us, but for our region, amen. So it's such a privilege to be able to host everyone here. It's so good to see everyone. Um, before we go to the uh, speaker tonight, he's, he's amazing. But uh, we're not releasing who's speaking at which service, not because we're secretive, but because, because we want the attention to be on God and not the man, amen? amen. We talked about the vessels that God uses. We believe that God is gonna speak through every single person who comes and grabs this mic, maybe even someone out in the hallways, but we believe every person that's speaking at their specific time is because God has told us to do it. So tonight we have the privilege of having someone on our very own team come and deliver the word. He's a man of God, he challenges me, he provokes me. His life of consecration unto the Lord challenges me to really go after it all. He walks in honor, he walks in faith, he walks in boldness, he's an amazing speaker, an amazing leader. But let me reiterate this once again. The reason why he's speaking tonight isn't because of any of those things. He is a great speaker, but he's speaking tonight because we felt like the Holy Spirit said he's supposed to open up our conference. So I want you to receive it like that tonight. So can we give a hand to Danny Kang as he comes to speak? Pursuit Conference. That was good for me, but can we all stand? I just want to give Jesus some more praise. Man, I love what the Bible says. Washington, I'm going to invite you guys back up because I want to give Jesus some more. But I love what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalms 22 that Jesus inhabits, that Jesus is enthroned upon the praises of his people. In other words, when we praise Jesus, he comes into the room. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think we won that side of the deal. Like when we praise Jesus, he comes into the room. Now, you guys aren't here to hear a good speaker, although those are good. I'm going to preach my heart out. I really will. I promise you that, that much. But you guys aren't here to hear a good preacher. You guys are here to meet with Jesus. I mean, I came to this conference as one of the leaders to have a full-on crash course collision with Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus comes, it changes everything. When Jesus comes into this room, that's when transformation comes. When Jesus comes, that's when healing comes. Jesus comes, that's when freedom comes. When Jesus comes, that's when revival comes. When Jesus comes, that's when breakthrough comes. So we need Jesus. You guys don't need another person speaking on this mic. Like I said, we have incredible lineups coming in. Don't worry about that. Right now, what we need is Jesus. So this is what I wanted to do in the most non-religious way. It might be a little obnoxious. It's going to be loud. But in the most non-religious, obnoxious way, I want us to give Jesus for one minute a shout of praise that will literally rumble this place. The Bible says in, in, in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2 that the disciples, when they came together and they prayed, when Jesus came, when the Holy Spirit came, it literally shook the place. I want it to be like one of those moments. I really do. But it happens when we give Jesus our praise. So this is what I want you to do. Look to the person next to you and say, hey, neighbor. By the way, yo, where's your team? Where y'all at? I need you to come up. Please help, help me out. We're going to go at this. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, neighbor, I'm going to give Jesus my everything. Now, it might be a little loud, but bear with me. Turn to the other person next to you and say, hey, neighbor, you definitely got to give Jesus everything. I know your life. You definitely got to give Jesus everything. So, guys, this is what I want us to do. For in the most non-religious way, Jesus, the Bible says that the name of Jesus it's exalted above every other name, and at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on the earth, and below has to bow down. That means depression has to go in Jesus' name. That means that, the, that, that demonic influences have to go in Jesus' name. That means any broken bone and pain and disease in your body has to go in Jesus' name. That also means our own agenda has to go in Jesus' name. We're here to meet with Jesus, so on the count of three, I want us to give Jesus a shout of praise that will cost us everything, that will make the person next to uncomfortable. Why? Because he deserves everything. So on the count of three, Eddie, I need you to hit that thing. On the count of three, for one minute, we're going to give Jesus a shout of praise that's going to rip through this room.
what you do best. Do what you do best, and that is to bring love. Do what you do best, and that is to bring transformation. Do what you do best, and that is to take a hold of our lives. So Lord, I thank you, God, that the next few days are going to be days that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, we're going to be able to see on September 12th through the 14th. That is what started a move of God. Why? Because hungry people came together to glorify and exalt Jesus. Hungry people came together to pray and contend for revival. So Lord, even right now, we thank you, God. Man, we can't wait, Lord. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. And I thank you, Lord, that everyone here who's here is here for a purpose. It's not a mistake that every single seat in this place is filled with the people that you want them to be here, God. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. And I thank you, God, that you have something in store for them, something so special. And so, Jesus, have it all, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Y'all are awesome. Man, it, it's so good to be here. It, it's weird because I'm one of the leaders of Pursuit, and it kind of sounds, in a way, like a, like a guest speaker type of thing, so bear with me, but it's, it's a real honor and pr privilege to be here. And uh, I actually want to jump right in, but for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Danny Kang. I'm one of the leaders here at Pursuit NYC, and as Pastor Sam was saying, man, it's just a tremendous honor and privilege to be here. And so I'm actually going to jump right in because I feel like God has given me a, a message for tonight and this evening. And I, once again, I just want to reiterate it. The people who are in this room, I really believe in the bottom of my heart, you guys are supposed to be here. Right. Whatever the circumstance was and, and whatever way it was that you got here, I believe that there's a reason and a purpose that you are here. And so I'm going to be preaching, but it started about maybe three to four years ago. I got this one friend, and I remember he was telling me a story. He's like, yo, Danny, uh, a few days ago, I had a picture in my mind as I was praying. I'm like, okay. And he's like, in the picture of my mind, this is what I saw. I saw a stage like this. In the picture of, him, in the picture of his mind as he's you know, praying, he saw a stage like this with actors and actresses, and there's a scene happening, almost like Broadway. There's a scene playing out. And he's like, yeah, all the actors and actresses, they're in place, the scene is rolling, they're doing what, they're got, what they have to do. And he says, but then God began to show me a, a person that works behind the scenes, and his name, the role of the person is a stagehand. Now, I might be wrong, I'm not an actor or actress, or nor do I study theater, theatrical, right, whatever, right? I don't study that. But anyways, there's a person behind the curtains who's in the back, and his, his role is a stagehand. And in other words, the role of that person, the assignment of that person or the stagehand is essentially this. As the scene is coming to a close, there is a transition into a next scene. And the stagehand's job and his role is to say, hey guys, in the back, hey everybody, get into places, get into position. Guys, your, turn, your time is coming up. It's almost your time to go on stage. Your time is coming up, your time is coming up. Places, everybody. Places everybody, make sure you know your roles. Make sure you know your roles. And that is essentially the, the assignment of the stagehand. Now, as the scene begins to end, there is a transition where the other scene begins to take place. You guys tracking with me, right? The other scene takes place. And if you are not in that scene, if you have missed your opportunity because you were not in place, then you have missed the scene completely. And he was telling me this. I'm like, okay, bro, like. Why are you telling me this? He's like, well, Danny, you got to see something. There's a person that's letting them know that you guys got to get ready. That places, places, places. The scene is shifting. It's time for your turn. But if you miss that opportunity, then you miss the scene completely. And at that point, I was a little confused. I'm like, okay, are you, are you rebuking me? Like, did I do something wrong? Do I have unconfessed sin in my life? Do I got to go and pray, right? Like, I was thinking these thoughts. He's like, no, Danny, it's not that. It's, I'm saying this because everybody has a role to play. But not everybody is going to be in that role if they're not ready. And the reason why I'm saying this is this. It's because our generation, the generation, when I say generation, I'm talking about people in this room. Well, real quick, I just want to say something. My mom and dad are here. I know it's a weird thing. They're right there. They're the two, you know, they stand out a little bit. But uh, I love them to death. Okay, so when I say generation, going back to the story, I'm talking about the people in this room. And I say all that. Because right now, I really feel, he was telling me, Danny, there's coming a shift in the scene where this generation is now coming into the front line. There's coming a shift in the scene where now we were once in the back getting ready, preparing, 
But now it's coming a point where the, the, the next generation, the next seat is coming to the front. And if you miss your role, if you miss your assignment, if you don't understand the position you're in, you will miss out on that movement completely. And it got me thinking, I'm like, all right. And I began to pray and ask God about it. I'm like, all right, Lord, I, I guess it's true. Like, our generation is coming to a point where it's time for us to begin to rise up. And we see it, we're coming of age, there's coming a moment where we begin to see things a little different from the previous generation. And after traveling or so for probably the past two, three years, and speaking to believers and non-believers alike, this is what I've come to realize, and this is gonna make a lot of sense when I connect it. But many people, many people in the church who grew up in the church, they get very confused as to what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And I say all that because we would ask them, hey, what do you feel like your assignment is as a believer? And they're like, oh yes, you go to heaven. Yeah, my goal is to go to heaven, my assignment is to go to heaven, and I got to do everything I can on earth so that one day I'll be able to go to heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I search scriptures, and when I look at what Jesus says, I was not able to find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus was like, hey man, yeah, just do whatever you got to do, and eventually you'll go to heaven. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't find it. Like, there was never one moment where Jesus told someone, hey, live however you want to live, but just make sure you go to heaven. Because that's the goal. I, I couldn't find it. Now hear me out before you guys label me like, yo, who is this cold heretic, right? Like, hear me out first. The goal of every Christian believer, every Christian follower is we got confused along the way. And I say all this because if we don't understand the assignment as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and we try our best to think, okay, our assignment while we are alive for the short 80 years is to try our best to get to heaven, you will miss out on the scene shifting. And you will miss out on your role to play for this upcoming move of God. And I share all that like, very soberly, very seriously. Now, here's the thing. Our destination, if you are a born-again, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, you profess, you proclaim, and you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, the Bible makes it very clear. Your destination is heaven. You will go to heaven. Like, let's not overcomplicate this. If you genuinely believe and proclaim and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, in other words, He is ruler of every aspect of your life, and that He has died for you, and that He has resurrected for you, then the Bible makes it very clear. If you believe that and proclaim that, then your destination is heaven. Like, you're, you're gonna go to heaven. The destination is heaven. So as believers, now we understand, okay, Danny, our destination is heaven, then what is our assignment? If our destination, if I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, so what is my specific assignment while I'm still alive? And it's this. Heaven on earth. My destination is heaven, but my assignment as a Bible-believing, spiritual believer, a part of his kingdom, an ambassador, a witness, is what? That no matter where I go, I bring heaven on earth. And no matter where I go, I advance his kingdom, whether it's the workplace, whether it's my school, whether it's my family, whether it's my church. Can I say that? <laughs> that wherever we go, we are called to advance his kingdom, to bring heaven on earth. You see, when we admit, when we believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, we're signing up to be a part of his kingdom. So I need you guys to realize this. Our assignment is not, oh man, I gotta read my Bible, I gotta pray, all those things are good, hear me out, right? It's not a checklist and a marker of all these things I got to do in order to get to heaven. No, 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 no. Your assignment is very clear. That Jesus himself, he has specifically said the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. For what? So you could be his witness. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You'll receive power for what purpose? It's to be Jesus' witnesses. So now we understand, okay, our goal and our destination is going to be heaven. Our destination as Bible-believing believers, spirit-filled believers, is heaven. Now my assignment is heaven on earth. And that is the thing you have to understand. So when the scene begins to shift, if you catch on to this, you'll begin to realize, okay, that is my role. That is what this generation is about. You see, I believe with all my heart, and it's not just me, it's actually people all around. Like world-class people, world-class Jesus-loving people. They all believe that there is something that God is gonna do within this generation that is unlike any other generation. It's not just a hopeful wishing. But it's people filled with faith and they genuinely believe that. And that's why I'm saying like our generation, we are living in a time unlike any other. There is so some, there's something so special about this generation. But if we miss it, if we don't understand our assignment, we will miss out on the move of God as opposed to being a part of the move of God. Amen. 
Now, now, I wanna, I wanna go into today's word because I feel like it aligns. I'm gonna be jumping around a lot. But I was praying and I was asking God, all right, God, what should I begin to preach on? What, do you, what is the message you wanna share? And I felt like this is what he was saying. Danny, it's easy for people to be a part of this kingdom. It's really easy, we just overcomplicate it. It's easy to do his assignment, to bring heaven on earth. It's very easy, but we begin to overcomplicate it. There's only one decision you gotta make. And that decision is super simple. Is whether or not you are all in. Everyone say all in. All in. Everyone say all in. All in. Now the title of my message for those of you guys who are taking notes, and I ask that you please take notes, is gonna be one of those messages. Is the all in generation. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm all in. Are you? I'm all in. Are you? <laughs> I really want to encourage you guys to take notes. If you guys take notes, I will see you in heaven on the fast lane. If not, y'all better start fasting and praying. Just kidding, just kidding. Now, the all-in generation is a special generation where God is going to do something in this generation, but it requires us to go all-in. And as I was praying, God began to show me in the Bible a group of people, a generation specifically, that is similar to the all-in generation. And there are key things we can learn from them on what it means to bring heaven on earth, what it means to be a part of this next move of God, what it means to serve King Jesus. Not live a powerless, defeated life, but live a life of power, live a life of authority, live a life actually doing something for Jesus. Yeah. Now, the story is the story of Joshua and his generation. Let me give you guys a bit of context before I jump in. We know the story of Moses, right? Just from the looks of it, everyone looks Asian, so that means that you guys mostly grew up in church, okay? Amen, right? Fair, fair statement. Okay, Moses, you guys know the story of Moses. Moses, the one who saw a burning bush. You guys know that story, right? Sunday school story. Moses, we know God begins to use him mightily. He's like, Moses, my people are slaves in Israel. And not in Israel, Egypt. I'm going to use you to bring them out of Egypt because I want to make a nation from them. And so Moses is like, God, I have a stuttering problem. God's like, don't worry, I'm going to use you, right? Long story short, God begins to do amazing things through Moses. Like, he does amazing things through Moses. Like through Moses' life, God begins to display power, miracles, signs, and wonders. We know about the stories of the template. And, and Moses and his followers, the Israelites, now they're in the Red Sea, and God begins to part the Red Sea, and they all cross across dry land. And the story continues that Moses, along with maybe about two million people, were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, this is where we pick up, because Moses is getting old. The generation, the previous generation, they're now dying off one by one. And now the scene picks up where Moses is now transferring his leadership unto the next generation, who is Joshua. And now through Joshua's life and through the story of Joshua, there are six key markers, six key things that we can pick up if we want to be a part of this move of God. Six things we can learn from the life of Joshua and his generation. If we are serious in saying we are the all-in generation, we are the generation that is going to see a move of God unlike any other. Six key things. The first thing that you can learn from the story of Joshua is that the all-in generation will be the honoring generation. That is the first marker. The all-in generation will be the honoring generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, this is what happens. Moses, he's literally about to die, and he tells God, God, I'm going to die. I'm paraphrasing, right? God, I'm going to die. Don't leave them by themselves without a leader. Like, raise up a leader. And God's like, all right, I got someone. It's going to be Joshua. Now, this is what Deuteronomy 34, 9 says. It says, now Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Catch it. Let me read that one more time. Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses laid his hands on him. Amen. The only reason Joshua was able to get wisdom, the spirit of wisdom, was one reason only. It is because Moses, who represents the previous generation, laid his hands on him. So we have to be the honoring generation. If we do not honor, we will miss out on the very blessings that the previous generation has in store for us. You see, the Joshua generation, they weren't some cavalier generation. They're not like, oh man, we don't need them. Yo, we know everything. We're millennials, right? We're Gen Z. <laughs> they don't understand us. We can do this on our own. We see things. No, no, they didn't see that. Like, we look at Joshua's life. Like, he had humility to honor Moses. He had humility to submit under the previous generation. 
And the only reason Joshua was able to have wisdom to lead this new group of people, this new generation into the promised land was because he had the spirit of wisdom that only came from the previous generation. I, I started doing something as of recently. Whenever I go to preach and whenever I go to speak, I've always been asking my mom and dad to lay hands on me and pray for me. Now, I don't know if it does anything. Like, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know if I'm like more anointed. I just ask them right now. So if I'm anointed, then it's because of them. If not, it's because of them right now. Okay, I get it. <laughs> but whenever I go around speaking, I've, I've begun to start asking them to lay hands on me. Oh, my Abba, can you pray for me? And they would do so. And this is what I realized is the previous generation, they have a blessing. They're able to bless our generation in a way where if we do not re receive that blessing, if we do not have humility to honor them to receive that blessing, we will not be able to go forward. Now, many of us, like looking in this room, many of you guys look Korean, and, and we know in the Korean culture, there is such a division amongst generation. Why I want to go as far as to say this, I understand that there is pain and hurt, but I will be so far as to say this, my generation, our generation, we have not honored the previous generation. Because of that, we're stuck, if I'm being honest with you. Our generation, we're not seeing movement, especially in the Korean church, why? because we haven't honored the previous generation. Instead, we're quick to point fingers. We're quick, we're quick to say, this is your fault. You see, like, we're quick to say, look, we're gonna dismiss you guys. We don't need you guys. Like, nah, 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 you guys aren't even good. You guys don't even speak English. I can't even communicate with you guys. We're gonna do things on our own, but Joshua's generation never did that. Now, there's a story of, of Noah. I'm gonna, sh I'm gonna change the story a little bit. We know the story of Noah. Noah is a flood guy, right? We know the story. Now, after the flood, the Bible says there was peace. A lot of peace. So much peace that Noah, the Bible said it, you can read it. The Bible said Noah went into his great vineyard and he had a little bit too much, uh, you know what I'm saying? He had a little bit too much wine. And if he was Korean, it would have been some of that grape soldier, but he was white or Israelite, so it was wine. But anyways, Noah had a little bit too much to drink because it was super peaceful. By a little bit, I mean a lot because the Bible says he blacked out. He was out. He was out cold. Like he knocked out. He knocked out so badly that he was literally butt naked on the floor. That's what the Bible says. Please read it. I'm not making it up. And the Bible says that Noah's son, one of his three sons, his name is Ham, right? That's his real name, is Ham. Ham went to see his father. He saw his father butt naked and said, okay, I'm going to tell my brothers. So he goes and tells his two other brothers, Shem and Japheth, right? It's the real name. Shem and Japheth. Now what Shem and Japheth did is this. In that culture, if you see your father naked, your father who represents the head of the household, and nakedness being the most shameful thing you can do, think about what it's doing to that father's name. Think about what it's doing to the father's identity. So Shem and Japheth, two other brothers, they turned their back. They did not see their father. They walked behind. They walked backwards and they covered their father up. Now when Noah woke up after he had a good, nice, long nap, he woke up and he found out what happened. The Bible says that only two out of the three sons got a blessing. One of the sons did not get a blessing. Can y'all guess who that is? Everyone say ham. ham. Everyone say bacon. bacon. Everyone say ham done messed up. Why is it that ham was the only one that never got the blessing? Shem and Japheth, they got a blessing. You know what the blessing was? It was a blessing to be a blessing to the other nations around them. You think, you want to know why our generation is so stuck, especially the Korean Americans? It's because we haven't gotten the blessing of the previous generation. That is why we're not influencing the people around us. That is why we're not, no longer influencing the nations around us. If I can speak so openly right now. We need the blessing of the previous generation. And it can only happen if we honor. But that is why I'm declaring in faith that my generation, the all-in generation, will be a generation that is an honoring generation. That's why Romans 12 says this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Like, literally, outdo one another. Like, compete one another in showing honor. So the first thing, a key marker of the all-in generation is this. It is the honoring generation. Now, the second thing, the second key marker of the all-in generation, it is the preparation generation. I like the way that rhymes. Preparation generation. Now, because of our culture, and because of the, the context of where we live, you guys know this too, we are the microwave generation. Everything we do, we just want it instantaneous and quick. Like how many of you guys realize that like, y'all go to fast foods and you guys get mad because the food ain't fast enough? Like that's the generation we live in. We want everything instantaneous and super quick. Now one quick story. 
I was at home, I love to cook. My mom and dad say, Danny, you're the best cook ever. I said, I know that's only because you want me to cook, right, right? But I was home one day, and we had steak in the freezer. Raw steak in the freezer. Now I took it out, and my personality is that I'm not very patient. I like to use the word, I'm thinking about the future, but I'm always thinking about the future where I have a hard time waiting, waiting, waiting. Now I took out that steak, and I realized it's, it's frozen. If I were to thaw it out naturally, it would take about, what, 12 hours maybe in the fridge? But I said, nuh-uh, I can't wait. So I take out the, the steak, put it in the plate, put it in the microwave, and every microwave has a function, it's called a defrost function. In other words, it's a low heat, goes on for a steady time, and it defrosts frozen food at a faster rate. Now, for me, because I was so impatient, I accidentally forgot to press the defrost button, and I clicked 10 minutes hot. Now, I went back to doing some work, and after about the five minute mark, I began to smell something that was not good. What is that smell? I go into the, the, the kitchen and I see smoke coming out the microwave. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I open it up and it's my steak, fully cooked. Well, well done. Great. Because <laughs> it got no crust. And I said, oh my goodness, this is disgusting. And the blood was no longer like, it was no longer blood. It was great and I said okay I'm hungry let me at least try a little bit <laughs> I tried a little bit and within three seconds I had to spit it out it was absolutely disgusting now on the other hand like I said I love cooking so if it was me and I cooked my parents some bomb steak not too long ago too I got a nice cast iron skillet put some vegetable oil on it season my steak let it go in high heat <laughs> put some rosemary and some garlic Got a nice crust, flipped it over and put some butter. Because you know, butter makes everything delicious. So I got that steak and it was cooking up real well. And I said, okay, this ain't enough butter, so I need some more butter. So I put in a little bit more butter. And now the cook, the steak is done, so I take it out and let it rest. And as it's resting, I take the butter juice and pour it all over the steak. More butter. And that was the best steak I've ever had in my life. Now you see, the process and the preparation period took probably about 10, minutes, 10 times longer than, uh, than freezing or, or microwaving frozen steak. It literally took maybe 10, 10 times longer because I had to wait for it to defrost and I had to wait for it to melt on its own. But the quality of it, you can't compare. I thought I was Chef Ramsay up in there. I said, this is the best steak I've ever had. Thank you, butter. <laughs> Now, I say all this because there are some things we try to microwave when God is doing something in our life, and I will tell you this. It may be instantaneous success. It might be instantaneous, a momentary satisfaction, but it won't last. When we try to microwave what God is doing on the inside, and we try to microwave the preparation period that God has in store for us, we will miss out on the fullness of what God has in store. Why? Because of our impatientness, we want the expedited. We just want the preview. We want the temporary satisfaction. When in fact, God's got a five-course, full-out, Brazilian buffet type of steak with a picanha on the side. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, I say all this because our generation, we have to be the preparation generation. If you are in the all-in generation, you have to be a preparation generation. God is doing something within our lives that we cannot expedite, that we cannot fast-forward, that we cannot skip the process of. Now look at Joshua. Did you realize that Joshua stayed next to Moses? Like ever since they left Egypt, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And do you know how long that, to the point where Joshua was now the new leader, do you know how long that process took? 40 years of preparation. 40 years of Joshua being Moses' right-hand man. 40 years of Joshua not getting the credit. 40 years of Joshua not trying to rush what God was doing inside of his life. Now this is what Joshua didn't realize. That because Joshua embraced the preparation period, and because Joshua was faithful in the preparation period, he didn't realize that God was actually teaching him all the necessary tools that was needed. So eventually when Joshua is now the leader, he has gained all the experience. For example, Joshua was a commander of the army. Now what Joshua didn't realize was that whenever they went to war and Joshua was leading the army, God was teaching them specific military strategies so that when they go into the promised land, Joshua will know exactly what to do. Joshua didn't realize this, but when he was with Moses, when Moses was praying and talking to God, 
God was teaching Joshua how to also hear his voice, how to also embrace and, and, and make importance seeking his face, praying. When Joshua was with Moses, as Moses was meditating on the laws, God was teaching Joshua in the moment, hey, I'm teaching you my laws. So that now it's written in your heart, so that now when you're the next leader, you can tell the people what my law says. When, when Joshua was next to Moses, as Moses was leading the two million previous generations, what was God doing? God was teaching Joshua, eventually your time is coming. So learn, be prepared, the preparation period. See, God is preparing and teaching our generation. But if we don't embrace the preparation period, like I said before, we may taste temporary satisfaction. We might taste a bit of success and a bit of fame and it feels good, but it will not last. And it will be short-lived. Now, many people in this room, you guys don't realize it, but God is teaching you a lot. He's preparing you in so many ways. For example, let's say you're at work and you have the most annoying employee or boss or coworkers or everybody, customers, whatever you want. Everybody, all of the above. Now, they're so annoying, and they literally piss you off. Am I allowed to say that in church? They piss you off, right? <laughs> in that moment, when you're trying to leave, when you're trying to say, God, I don't want to work here, when you specifically know that God has called you to work there, God, I don't want to work here anymore. You know what God is doing? He's teaching you and he's preparing you. Hey, you don't realize it now, but 10 years later, I'm teaching you and preparing you so that when you lead 100 annoying people, you'll know exactly what to do with them. It might be two now, but it's going to be 100 10 years later. And you don't realize it now, but they're going to be 100 youth kids. So 10 times more annoying. He's teaching you. He's preparing you. Or let's say you are studying in school. You're a hypergenic chemist, engineering, medicine professor. I don't know, you're Korean, right? So you're studying that because your mom wants you. And you're trying to wonder, God, what am I doing with my life? God, why do I have to do this? You don't realize it, but he's teaching you and he's preparing you. Why? Because eventually he wants to use you to impact and influence the medical field, a sphere in society that no believer wants to go to, unless they have the credentials that God is teaching you and preparing you for. That is why. But see, if we don't catch the preparation period, we will miss out on what God is doing entirely. Now, one of the reasons why, why we find it so hard to embrace the preparation period it's because of social media. And that's why I love to tell people, hey, I love social media. I'm a fan of social media. Social media is an incredible tool. But sometimes if we're not careful, that tool is going to tool us. That tool is going to use us. And because of social media, specifically Instagram, this is what I come to realize, that our, our generation, our peers, that we compare so much. And the comparison is actually what's making us want to expedite the preparation period. Because we see our friends who is now living their life of, they're living their life up in Paris, and they're drinking some uh, arwa, right? Like I don't even know, right? what is Paris, right? Something. They're drinking something, coffee, whatever. <laughs> and we see their life, and we're like, wait, wait, wait. Why can't my life look like that? Or can I be honest? As a preacher, as I go around more and more, I see people my age, and I see them preaching to thousands. I'm like, Lord, why can't I do that? Dang it, I'm preaching to 25, <laughs> right? Like I'm gonna be honest. And it's the very comparison aspect of it that is wanting us to expedite and actually, in a way, maneuver around the preparation period. It is spirit of comparison itself that is actually getting in the way of what God's doing for our lives. Now, now, can I tell you something? Instagram's a liar. Social media is a liar. It really is. Like, I'm going to be honest. There's sometimes I take an Insta story of me reading the Bible when, in fact, I don't read it. <laughs> like, okay, can we be real? I know people are here that do that too. Like, let's be real for one second. Y'all don't have to be fake. Come on, let's be real. Take a picture. Hashtag Manizukai. Hashtag Book of Hezekiah. Hezekiah ain't even a book. Like, relax. See, like, social media is a liar. One time I was playing basketball, and I love to play basketball. And my, my Korean friends would say, yo, Kobe Bryant too. My black friends would say, yo, Yao Ming. Not because I was good, but because I'm Asian, right? But I love to play basketball, and I absolutely love it. One day, one morning, I was playing basketball by myself at 6 a.m. in the park. And I was like, you know what? It's about time the world knows my talents. It's about time my friends realize that they are friends with Jeremy Lin 2.0. But this is what I did. I took out my phone, an Insta story, me making a shot. And it was a beautiful shot, if I do say so myself. It was one of those things where it just hits the net and it goes, shh. And I put it up on my Insta story. I'm not lying, within a matter of an hour, maybe 15 messages came in. Yo, Danny, you play ball. Yo, Danny, you're so good. Yo, Danny, that was pretty nice. Hey, Danny, that was beautiful. Hey, Danny, hey, Danny. Like, like I'm gonna be real. They messaged me saying, yo, Danny, you're so good, you're so good. Now, there's a behind the scenes story that I forgot to leave out. 
It took me 27 tries to make sure that I got that shot in. Like, can I be honest? Like, it literally took me 27 times to make sure that ball went in. But see, people, they don't realize the behind the scenes stories, which is why I'm saying this, do not compare. It is comparison itself that is killing you and getting in your way of expediting the preparation period God wants to do in your life. You are on your own journey with God, a specialized, one of a kind, preparation period that God has specifically for you. No one else has that, only you. But if we try to expedite that, we will miss out completely. Second thing is the preparation generation. The third thing, the third thing that is a marker of our all-in generation is we are the opportunity generation. We are the opportunity generation. When others see an obstacle, this generation sees an opportunity. Come on, somebody, that is pretty good, huh? We could write that down. When others see an obstacle, this generation sees an opportunity. In the book of Numbers, the same story. There's a story of Moses sends out 12 spies. Joshua and another one of his friends, homeboys, Caleb, was a part of those, those spies. And Moses sends them out, yo, check out this land and let me know what you think. Now they go and they see some awesome stuff and they come back. And the Bible says that 10 out of the 12 spies, this is what they said, yo, Moses, it's crazy. They got like grapes the size of watermelon. They got apples the size of like pineapples, and they got pears the size of like pears. Like, like they got awesome fruits. Like it looks incredible. But there's giants in that place. That land is filled with giants, and they will devour us. Why? Because we're like grasshoppers to their eyes. That's what the Bible says. Ten out of the twelve spies came back with that report, but only Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit, according to the Bible. And this is actually what what Caleb said. Caleb said this, he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Let me read that one more time, sorry. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Why? Because while the other 10 spies saw an obstacle getting in their way, Caleb saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity for God to show up. He saw an opportunity for God to fulfill his promise. Actually, Joshua also says something similar too. He says, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. See, while other people might say, no, 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 no. That's an obstacle. No, 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 you can't do that. No, no, no. Yo, that's Goliath. Don't you see Goliath? He's nine feet tall. He's making fun of us. Where are the babies that'll come and say, you know what? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defiling the army of the living God? You know what uncircumcised mean? I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but it's a curse word. It ain't a good word. If you are over the age of 18, Google it when you get home if you do not know. If you are under 18, ask your parents. But uncircumcised is a bad word. But David comes along and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why? Because while the other Israelites were carrying in fear because they saw an obstacle, David saw an opportunity for God to show up. They saw an opportunity for God to display His healing, for God to display breakthrough, for God to display victory. Now that is one of the defining characteristics of our generation. That when other people say, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't believe for revival. Don't you know revival is only the thing of the past? No, 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 where's our generation that says, no, what are you talking about? Don't you not realize that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of me. The same spirit that did the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 is the same spirit that lives within us. Now we need a generation of people who will not be succumbed to an obstacle, but they will see an opportunity. Now there is another key principle behind this. It's this. Obedience releases breakthrough. Let me say that one more time. Obedience releases breakthrough. Come on, say that with me. Obedience releases breakthrough. One more time, I like that. Obedience releases breakthrough. One last time, please. Obedience releases breakthrough. A key principle that they understood that comes along with the opportunity generation is that they realize that it's their obedience that releases the breakthrough. The only reason why Joshua and his generation was able to take a hold of the promised land was because what? God said it. And they obeyed God as opposed to trusting in the popularity of the culture around them. That is so important for our generation today. We need a generation that will obey God more and pay more close attention to obedience rather than approval of people around us. Man, that is why, okay, I'm going to be honest. Even for tonight, right, 
there are certain messages, like I'm going to be truthful, as a preacher, there are certain messages that you have where you know it will garner up a specific response, if I'm being honest. Like, there are messages that I know that if I were to preach, I know I can garner up a response in such a way that many people will be blessed, but if I'm not walking with God, it might be a little bit of manipulation, if I'm being completely real. Like, some say it's manipulation. I say if I'm walking with Jesus, it's communication, right? But I know there are messages that I have, and I was tempted. I was like, man, God, a part of me wishes that I could preach good. Why? Because at first conference. Why? Because there's going to be people I don't know. Why? Because I want them to know that Danny could do a good job. And so I wrestled with it, if I'm being completely truthful. This is a message that God has given me recently, a message that I've come up with recently, where I never preached it. And I'm like, oh, man, Lord, what if it sucks? Like, what if it doesn't get the response? Like, Lord, what if nobody likes it? Like, Lord, if it doesn't hit with anybody? And I had to contemplate that. But this is what I realized. I'm like, God, wait, wait, wait. Like, I'm preaching to myself. Obedience releases breakthrough. So even me standing up here, I'm not speaking as if I'm an outsider to this generation. I'm a part of this generation. So my obedience will release a breakthrough for my generation. That is why I choose obedience as opposed to approval. I choose to obey God more than be approved by my friends. Why? Because it is my very obedience that will release a breakthrough as a part of this generation. If I obey God, if you obey God, you will release a breakthrough only for this generation. Yeah. It's so true. So don't allow approval to get a hold of your life. Choose obedience. The fourth thing, the all-in generation will be the uncompromised generation. The all-in generation will be the uncompromised generation. Now here's one of the saddest stories of the Bible. The same people, the same generation that Moses took out of Egypt, they all died in the wilderness. Like it's one of those stories in the Bible where you read it and you're like, dang it, that sucks. Like they all died in the wilderness. And do you know why? Because they compromised. An entire generation died off in the wilderness, never getting into the promised land that was meant for them. Why? Because they compromised. Now the Bible says, like, literally, like, how many of you guys know, if you see a sea part before your very eyes, you're going to be like, I believe in Jesus with all my heart, soul, and mind, right? You're like, <laughs> you don't need any other signs. If you see the Niagara Falls part before your very eyes, you're going to be like, Jesus is real. Like, no turning back. They saw a Red Sea split, and yet they were like, oh, God. Wow, I wish I could go back to Egypt. At least in Egypt, I would have eaten well. And God's like, all right, let me send bread from the sky. They're like, oh God, I wish I could go back to Egypt because there's at least meat. Okay, let me cook up some Popeyes and, and send it from the sky. Oh God, I'm thirsty. They kept complaining, they kept compromising. It got to a place where they were actually compromised the condition that God has given them. They compromised the very assignment and the very laws that God has given them for their own comfort, which is the only reason why they built up a golden calf in the first place. Like, they know God is real, yet they wanted to build a golden idol. They compromised. The previous generation was never able to take a hold of God's promise. Why? Because they compromised. Now, let me tell you something. We are living in a generation and a time unlike any other where it is easy to compromise. It's easy to compromise our convictions for comfort. It's easy to say, you know what, the American dream is what I care about more, as opposed to being obedient to God. When God himself says, sell everything you have to the poor. No, 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 God, I gotta be rich. God, I gotta retire by the time I'm 50. God, I'm trying to make money. God, I'm trying to be comfortable. I'm gonna say some, some controversial stuff, but it's biblical. Lord, do I wanna say it? I'm gonna say it. Lord, do I wanna say it? I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say the controversial stuff. Because I wanna get people to know. Even in regards to abortion and women's rights, I will be the first one to advocate for women's rights, especially in the church. But we have begun to compromise conviction and what God says and what God treasures in his hearts for comfort and even as a way approval of other people. I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who grew up in the church. We began to compromise what God specifically says in his words in the very Bible that we proclaim that we believe. For comfort. Because we want to be approved by the people around us. Because we want the people around us to like us. Because it's more comfortable if we don't get into those topics and those conversations. Can I say any, something else? Lord, do I want to say? I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm just going to stop here. Say it. 
No, no, I'm not gonna say it. Stop it. That was a lie. Okay, okay. But it's true. We, our culture today is a culture that is compromising unlike any other. And it's confusing for people who grew up in the church because we're like, what's really real then? What's really true? That is why we need a generation who's uncompromising, who won't care about what the people around us say, who won't care about the status quo and trying to fit in. Why? We're called to stand out anyways. We need a generation who is uncompromising, will not compromise conviction for comfort, will not compromise likeness, people liking us for sin. Does that make sense? Okay. The fifth thing. The fifth thing is a praying generation. The all-in generation will be the praying generation. In Exodus 33, I love what Exodus 33 says. It says, Moses began to speak to God face to face in what was called the tent of meeting. In other words, it's literally like a big tent set apart outside of camp. And when Moses would go in there, it means that like, he would talk to God face to face. Now the Bible says that everyone else would stand outside their own tents, looking, looking at a distance, trying to see. And when Moses would talk to God face to face, and he would communicate with God face to face, when he would pray with God face to face, the Bible says something super interesting. It says Joshua was by his side. Joshua, the Joshua generation was by his side. And it says something really interesting. It says, even after Moses left that tent of meeting, it says, Joshua remained. Ooh. No previous generation had to say, hey, come to early morning prayer. <laughs> Joshua was like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. No man of God had to say, you must pray. Why? Because the Joshua generation, the all-in generation, our generation, we are a praying generation. Now, this is what I think Joshua realized. I think Joshua realized that there was a secret and a key behind Moses' power. I think Joshua, after spending so many years with him, realized that God used Moses in such mighty, miraculous ways. And he realized that it came from a specific moment. It came because Moses sought after the face of God. Just like the disciples in Jesus. The disciples, they saw Jesus through everything. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him make two fish and five bread and mad fish and mad bread. <laughs> like they saw him raise up the dead. They saw everything. And yet the only question they ask is Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they understood the secret as to why there was power on their lives. I think Joshua understood that too. I think Joshua really began to understand a key to the kingdom, and that is prayer. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Moses' life was defined by this one phrase. He talked to God face to face. And this is what Joshua now began to understand. The hand of God, which represents power, was on Moses' life. Why? Because Moses desired to seek the face of God, which represents intimacy. Yeah. And that can only happen in prayer. I know the word is like anointing. Like we want the anointing. We want power. We want signs and wonders. We want to do incredible things for the Lord. Can I tell you something? It won't start without prayer. Yeah, it can only be developed in the place of intimacy. It can only be developed when our one desire is to seek the face of God and not his hands. But his promises is if, if we seek his face, then his hands will be on our life. And Joshua began to understand that. That is why when Moses left the tent, Joshua remained. Now the common trait of all revivals, I love studying revival history, and I love reading about past revivals because it stirs me up. Now from my study and from what I've realized, the common trait, the only trait that I was able to find from past revivals, 1906 Azusa Street Revival, 1907 Pyongyang Revival, 1904 Walsh Revival, and all the other stuff, is this is that every move of God, every revival, the only thing they had in common that I could find was that it all started with the people, with the group of people praying. Every single revival, cast away to what I'm saying, every single revival that I've personally studied upon had only one thing in common, and that is that a group of people before, before the revival came, they prayed. Amen. They got on their knees and they began to cry out. They got on their knees and they began to ask God to come. This generation, we, we talk a lot. Yeah, Lord, send revival, send revival. I love to talk about people that know revival. But I hear a lot nowadays. Yeah, God's going to send revival. God's going to send revival. And I want to be sober and asking this. Do you not realize that God's not going to send revival unless you pray? Unless you have a prayer life? Unless our generation begins to become a generation that prays? Yeah. Amen. 
If we really want to be a generation that is all in, that sees the move of God, we have to be a praying generation. A generation that seeks his face for intimacy. The last thing I'm going to share, and if we look at the worship team up, the last thing, the last marker of the all-in generation is this. We are the victorious generation. That's all-in generation will be the victorious generation. Now let's continue on with Joshua's story. Finally, the baton hasn't passed. The scene has been shifted. And now it's Joshua and his generation entering into the promised land. But there is one final obstacle standing in the way. And that is the walls of Jericho. Now if we've been in church long enough, we know the story left and right. And God began to tell him, God began to tell him some interesting stuff. He says, hey Joshua, be strong and courageous. Hey Joshua, be strong and courageous. And he says it one last time, a third time. Hey Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Yes, a part of it was because Joshua was afraid. But God himself, who knows all things, catch this. God who knows all things. God who knows the way it's going to turn out. God who is not the only the author, but also the perfecter of our faith. Who sees all things. Who sees that Joshua's generation is going to end in victory. Says Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because God himself knows that victory is there. So this generation is a generation that is not fighting for victory, but is fighting from victory. The victorious generation is a generation of people that is no longer fighting for victory, but they are fighting from victory. Now let's continue on with the story. Joshua and two million generation people, they're, they're standing at this wall, this city that God specifically says you will inhabit the city. And they see this huge wall and Joshua begins to pray. And he begins to ask God, he's like, God, what do we gotta do? What do we gotta do? What Joshua doesn't realize is that the victorious generation, the marker of the victorious generation, is the accumulation of all the previous markers that I talked to you guys about. The honoring generation, the preparation generation, the opportunity generation, the uncompromising generation, and the praying generation. Why? They had to honor the previous generation to come this far. They had to honor the previous generation to come this far. Joshua had to honor Moses in order to receive the spirit of wisdom to lead his people this far. They were the preparation generation because God prepared them and taught them how to trust in him, how to go into war, how to take hold of a nation. They were the opportunity generation because they didn't see the walls as an obstacle. They saw it as an opportunity for God to show up and for God to show up like he said he is. I am victorious. They did not compromise. Although the previous generation compromised their conviction for comfort, Joshua's generation says, you know what, God, we're all in. We're not going to have one foot in Egypt and one foot in Israel. We're all in. And last but not least, they were a praying generation. As, Mo, as Joshua sought the face of God, as Joshua got on his knees and prayed, God began to speak to him specific directions on how to go into this land. And this is what God began to speak to Joshua. He says, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Everybody, you and two million other people, you guys are gonna circle this wall for seven days straight. Now, every day for six days, I don't want you to say a single thing. I just want you to go and circle around it once. And on the seventh day, I want you to go circle around the seven times, and that's my brother Joshua saying, circle around the seven times. And before the walls even come tumbling down, I want you to release a shout of victory. And then, the walls will come tumbling down. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, God, you're playing too much. Stop it, right? Like, be like, the walls better come down and then I'm going to shout, right? Like, no, 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 but God is saying, no, shout. Even before you see the victory, shout and give God praise. And victory will come. Why? Because we're no longer fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Ooh, come on, somebody. This is what happened. Like, I want you to imagine and picture Joshua and the two million other people. It's day one. They circle around and they're like, oh my goodness, God never told us that this wall is that long, right? They're circling around. It probably takes them that long. I'll be honest, right before service started, I was telling Josh this, right before service started, I really wanted to do this in faith. And I said, God, I'm going to circle around this church seven times as an act of faith that you're going to move. And the walls that are, that are in our way are going to come tumbling down. No one told me this church was so big. <laughs> I go around the first time. 
I'm like, all right, and I'm just praying. God, I thank you. Walls are coming down. God, the walls are coming down. And right when I thought I would hit the entrance, there was another corner. I'm like, oh my goodness, the walls are coming down. The walls better come down, right? One time, I'm like, okay, let me time myself the second round. At least let me see how long it takes. So I began to time myself, and I go around the wall. One second time, I'm just like, wow, this is harder than I thought. Wow, my stomach hurts. Wow, my legs are tired. And I time it. It's like 4 minutes, 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, no way. Oh, no way. But God, I want to be faithful. God, I want to be a man of God. God, I want to be an all-in generation. I will not give up. I will not quit. I'm going to circle around this wall seven times no matter what. So I got in my car. <laughs> I'm being honest. I'm just going to be honest. So I got in my car. I said, Lord, I thank you that you're not religious. This is an act of faith. And circled around five more times. I'm going to be honest. I'm just being completely honest. Now in faith, this is what I'm believing. The walls came tumbling down. But this is what I've also realized. That after the first time of walking, there was doubt creeping into my mind. Why the heck am I doing this? Like, why am I even doing this? And I can imagine the Israelites feeling the same way. Day one, they do this, they're like, oh my goodness, no one told me it would take four hours. Why are we even doing this? And then the second day, they're doing the same thing. Yo, Josh, are you sure you heard from God? Like, come on, I got kids. Like, yo, we're so tired. Now day three, they're probably thinking the same thing. Oh my goodness, four more days left, we're screwed. What if this never happens? Day five, day six, and finally it's day seven. And the only thing they have is a word from God that says, you will be victorious. There's a word from God that says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Joshua, Moses' specific assignment was to lead them out of Egypt, but your specific assignment is to lead them into the promised land, and I will be with you. That's all they had. They had a word from God specific assignment from God and finally it's day seven and I can imagine them walking around one time and then walking around the second time the third time the fourth time the fifth time the sixth time and just like me when I was driving around the seventh time I was so happy inside but excited and nervous what if nothing happens and I can imagine them circling around the seventh time this is it it's all or nothing there's no turning back now there's literally no turning back now. We're either all in or not. We're either going to see this to the very end or not. We're either going to keep pressing in and keep believing and having faith that God is going to send revival in this region until the very end. Even if I don't see it, I'm all in. And that is what they had to decide. And finally, they circled around seven times and now Joshua's like, guys, God has given us this land. God has given us this land. We will take a hold and possession of this land that God has given us. We will bless the surrounding nations around us. God has given us this land. Now release a shout of praise and victory. And then the walls are going to come tumbling down. In that moment, if you are them, think about what you're going through. What if nothing happens? What if we release a shout of praise and then they find us and they all kill us? Like, what if we end up looking like a fool? What if the coworkers around us, and what if our family members say, yo, what the heck are you doing? Why are you even doing this? Why are you even having faith to go into your knees and pray? Why are you getting around these revival meetings? Why are you crying when you are praying? What are you doing? And I could imagine all these thoughts are going on in their mind. But something about them said this. They have made up their mind. And they said this. I've counted the cost. I've drawn the line in the sand. I'm tired of going back and forth. I've seen what compromise did to the previous generation. I'm sick and tired of it. And when I sign up to be a part of this kingdom, I'm all in. No turning back now. I'm not doing this for religious duties. I'm not doing this for check marks. I'm doing this because I've counted the cost. Because I realized that God is looking for my all. No matter how big or small it may be, He is looking for my all. Now I'm all in. And when they made that decision, and they lifted up their voices, and they gave God a wild shout of praise and victory like we just did, the walls came tumbling down. Joshua's generation 
because they take a hold of the land. It's the same land where King David was born. It's the same land that Jesus began to do his ministry. And it's the same land that Christianity, as we know today, started from. And it happened because a generation said, I'm all in. It happened because a generation said, I've counted the cost of going all in and taking hold of this promise. And we need an all-in generation. We don't need a half-hearted generation anymore. And we have too many church people. We have too many church goers. We need a generation of people that are all in. That have counted the cost that says, I'm going all in for Jesus, nothing less. So cute. <laughs> now, there's one more story I just want to share and it relates. In Matthew chapter 16, it's a story that we all know so well. It's The Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were in a region called Caesarea Philippi. And that's a place where Peter famously said, Jesus, you are Messiah, you are the living Christ. And that's where Peter made his declaration. And, and Jesus says, Peter, good. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the revelation of the Father did. And on this rock of this confession, I'm going to build my church. And that gates of hell shall not prevail. Did you realize that there is a key to this? And if we don't know, we will miss out. And the key is Caesarea Philippi. Now, in Caesarea Philippi, what you guys may or may not know is that Caesarea Philippi was a very infamous place. It's like this spring. In other words, there's water and there's a, there's a, what do you call it, like a cliff. And in this spring, sometimes it bubbles up. And what happened is Alexander the Great, not Alexander the Great, wow, Alexander the Great, who is Greek, right? He came and he saw that something was weird about this and how there was water bubbling up and how no matter how low he searched for, he kept going. And this is what he said. He said, this is a passageway to the underworld. Like he said, this is the entrance to hell. And he set up idols and temples specifically as a way to honor and worship demons the underworld. Now, when Roman Empire came in, they saw what was happening. They saw that it was a spring. And they're like, you know what? We like it. Yeah, this is a passageway to the underworld. This is a passageway to hell. And, and, and they said like they would sacrifice animals, throw it in the pool. And when the water would bubble up, it would mean that the demons, the gods, received their sacrifices. Now, everybody in that culture knew about Caesarea Philippi. It's like saying, yo, I'm going to Niagara Falls. Like, you go to Niagara Falls to see Niagara Falls. Like, everybody knew about Caesarea Philippi. So when Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, he took them to that place. The most spiritually dangerous place. The darkest of darks. The most dangerous place you can physically go. And this is where Jesus is telling them this very thing. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates and the wall of Jericho, the gates and the wall, it is the same purpose and the same use. It was the last line of defense. And just like the Joshua generation, that when they circled around and when they believed what God said, that you are a victorious generation, the walls came tumbling down. Jesus is making that same statement. The gates of hell will not be victorious against you guys. See, that is the call of believers. We have been playing and safe for too long. Do you not realize that God has put heaven inside of you? He literally deposited heaven inside of you, not so you can be safe, not so you can be comfortable, so that wherever you go, just like Caesarea Philippi, the most dangerous of dangerous of dangerous of place, you can literally expand his kingdom. And his promise is this, hell ain't got nothing on you. What are you so afraid of? But why is it that believers have played it safe for too long? That is what bothers me. For too long we have made Christianity about coming to church and listening to a good message and doing nothing about it. Meanwhile, the world around us, this region that we are believing for revival, is actually dying. And there is no one reaching the lost in this region. Why? Because we're too afraid. Why? Because we don't realize that we are an all-in generation. Why? Because we don't realize that Jesus has given us the victory. Now, I'm going to make a call. I feel this so strongly in my heart. I'm going to make a call today because I really believe enough are the days of Christianity and Christians who play safe. That is not the call of believers. The specific assignment that Jesus gave believers is that you will go and release heaven wherever you go. That on earth as it is in heaven. That wherever you go, you will advance his kingdom. Just like Jesus said to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now the world doesn't need more theology. 
Did you know that? We have enough theology that will last us for centuries and decades. The world doesn't need more discussion and arguments and debates. We have enough of that too. What the world needs is believers who have made a decision to go all in for Jesus. The all-in generation who will honor, who will be prepared, who will be obedient, who will see an opportunity instead of an obstacle, who will pray, who will be victorious, and who will have radical love to not be afraid to go to the most dangerous places of the world, of our region, to expand his kingdom. Now I want to make a call, and I feel this strongly in my head. Can everyone stand with me? As I was praying, I really felt like God was saying this next few days is going to be a week, a weekend where he's going to do something. He's going to write history. We're 30 years down the road. We're going to realize that what God did in this moment is so special. It's going to carry forward. But here's my thing. We don't want another conference. We don't need more good speakers. We have enough. What we need is an encounter with Jesus. And it starts when the people of God are so sick and tired of being sick and tired of religion. They've heard it all. And as I'm sharing, I see it in this room, like I feel it. There are people here that are sensing it. Like you realize that you have been playing it too safe. You realize that the Christianity that you have been doing is too boring. Like I see it in this room, like I feel it. And you guys are in this place, you're like, Danny, you're right. I'm not called to play it safe. I'm not called to give God my half heart. I'm not called to give God a portion of my heart. I'm called to give God my everything. I am all in. I have counted the cost. And I know it might mean that I might look like a fool. I know it might mean that people may not like me. I know it might mean my future is unstable by the standards of this world. But the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God says, I know the plans and the future for your life. And we need a generation that is all in, that will not compromise. We need a generation that is saying, you know what, just like the victorious generation, just like Jesus telling his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We need a generation that will go for it and it starts with making a decision. Are you or are you not all in for Jesus? I'm going to give you guys a chance to respond. Every eye's closed in this place. Every eye's closed.